0: The reading today is from Matthew 18, 1-5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Well, welcome everybody. My name is Johnny Morrison. I'm also one of the pastors here with Lydia and Heather. It's so good to have you. Uh, As Lydia mentioned we have started a series last week, she started it off for us, called Spark. And as a guide in that series, we've made these little journals. Um, Not required. This is a volunteer organization. But if you would like a journal, uh, you can grab one. There's some, like, in the little silver bucket at the end of the communion table, and there's also some on the wooden table as you enter. Um, These are little journals. They have uh, what's going on during, like, winter 2022, like, different things that are happening. So if any of the classes that... Uh, Lydia mentioned are interesting to you, you can find them in here. Or if you would like notes and prompts and reflection questions on each of the topics that we're wrestling through over the next couple of weeks, you can find those uh, in here. They're right where I told you they are. All right. (laughs) Let's start. I just want to start with three really simple But I think pretty profound questions. Questions I've been wrestling with all week. Questions that hopefully you will also begin to wrestle with as well. So here are the three questions. Number one, can you, maybe I should say do you, ever envision God at play? Can you, or have you, or... In your imagination, when you think about God, when you think about the creator of the universe, when you read your Bible, whatever it is, the moments that you have that that bring you into an imaginative experience with God, do you ever imagine God at play? Question number two Where is God when you are at play? So when you're having fun, when you're skiing, you're hiking, you're doing whatever the thing is that brings you life and joy and delight, where is God? Question number three, can we, can you, join God at play? Three simple questions that will frame up our time together. So as you think about them, let me pray for us one more time and then we'll continue to talk. God of all things, today would you help us imagine that you are also a God of play? That you take deep delight in your own work, that you take deep delight in your own relationship, that you take deep delight in relationship with us, that it is fun and enjoyable to you to be who you are, and to be in relationship with us. God, today, would we disavow some of the notions of work that have so infiltrated our faith? Work is good and right, but sometimes work can become a thing we do for you. So we, we begin to see today Christian life in the lens of joy, in the lens of delight, and maybe even possibly through the lens of play. Spirit be with us. Help us see a bit more. In your name we pray. Amen. So, as I said, we're in a series entitled Spark. And the series and the purpose of this series that we're in is to talk about practices that spark in us greater joy, greater life, greater love. We believe that the Christian life is a gift, that Christ has given a gift to us, really, the gift of. Himself to us, and it is a beautiful gift. It's a gift that changes everything. It can change how we think about ourselves, how we think about the world, how we engage the world around us, but sometimes that gift can, like any good gift, get put on a shelf and never used, never experienced, and never enjoyed. And so throughout this series, what we're doing is looking at different practices that, to continue using that metaphor, sort of use the gift that we've been given. And like any good relationship, it grows or diminishes in proportion to its engagement. And so this is a series of practices that help us engage the gift of God to us. Last week, the practice that we began on, that Lydia began us with, was the practice of rest. We wanted to come out of the end of last year and into the new year talking about rest. If we could have any major resolution for the year, let it be the most anti-resolution of them all to rest. Because rest is an act of trust in God. It's an act of revolt in many ways to the culture around us. It invites us into a different way of living. And likewise, this week, we're going to talk about the practice of play. I don't know if you ever heard a sermon on the practice of play. I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon. Or have I ever given a sermon on the practice of play before? Which is probably why it feels really important that we have some time to talk about play as a spiritual practice. Not as just a thing that we do, not as just a thing that we do with our friends, but as actual spiritual practice that invites us into participation in the thing that God is doing. I think play as a practice is something that's pretty hard for us to do, though. It's hard for a lot of reasons. I think, one, it's hard because we live in a culture that so values hustle. And so then to play, I think in some ways, can make us feel almost guilty, like we're not working hard enough, we're not hustling enough, we're not measuring our worth and our productivity enough by efficiency, by what we produce, by how much hard work we do. And so it can be hard to talk about play. I was talking about this with my wife, Tori. And she was saying that every job that she's ever worked in, for the most part, has had a moment where a boss says, this is a work hard, play hard environment. Has anybody had that conversation before? A work hard, play hard environment? She was like, what I have learned from that is that as soon as we have that conversation, whatever play was happening stops (laughs) happening, and it becomes simply a work hard environment. And I feel like that's true. Like, we like to say we are a play people, that we have space for playing hard, but what we actually do mostly is work hard. We're a hard work culture, and there's something very beautiful about that. Work is a practice we'll talk about at the very end of the series. Kind of want to get there out of the hard work we've done here in terms of play and rest and joy and prayer. But it can be hard to talk about play in a cultural way. I think it can also be hard to talk about play in a spiritual sense, in our own Christian life. For some reason, we often take on the notion that Christian life, is primarily a hard-working kind of thing. If you want to be holy, if you want to be good, if you want to be a good Christian, then you work hard at being a good Christian. So hard work then gets wrapped up into our faith. Or on the other hand, another thing that can happen in our faith is a level of seriousness seems to pervade our faith. We think about God and we think about a really serious figure, someone who is no-nonsense Sometimes when I even describe my own, like, faith maturity, I've used the language of, at one point, I got serious about my faith. Has anybody ever said anything like that? You got serious about your faith? It's fascinating that the phrase we use to describe growth or maturity is like the description of a stoic emotion. That my maturity, my growth, my development was stoic. Maybe even a little dour. It's when I got my nose to the grindstone and got really serious about my faith, really serious about Christian maturity. So for many of us, I think that culture makes play a difficult concept, and then if it's not simply culture, our faith can make play a difficult idea because faith seems to be the work of serious things and a serious God and serious life pursuits. But my prayer today is that as we talk about play, is that maybe just a little bit, we could press on our notion of serious God, serious faith, as the symbols of maturity. And that maybe just a little bit, we could press on the notion of working for God and working for Jesus and begin to develop an imagination for joining God in play. That's my prayer, simple, simple hope that we might just imagine a little bit different that we could play, and that would be worship. Now, I think to get us to that idea, we have to begin first and foremost with talking about God, because God often seems to us to be a serious figure. So first idea today is that our God is a God of play. One of my favorite passages to talk about this comes in Proverbs 8, verse 30. And in this moment of Proverbs 8, verse 30, there's a conversation happening. And the text says it's a conversation between wisdom and God. And a lot of scholars believe that wisdom is a personification of the person of Jesus. So keep that in mind when you read this and hear this. I was beside him, God, as a master of crafts and I was having fun. This is wisdom speaking, or the person of Jesus speaking. I was having fun smiling before God all the time, frolicking with his inhabited earth, and delighting in the human race. Now, children, listen to me. Happy are those who keep my ways." In this beautiful conversation, wisdom, the person of Jesus, is talking about the creation of the world. It's that moment that's talked about in John chapter 1 when the logos, the word, the wisdom was with God in the creation of the world. But we get in this moment just another snapshot, a different picture of the emotions or the feelings of the creative work. And it is one of deep joy, one of deep delight where Jesus says, I was having fun. In this work. Now, to name this dynamic, to name this kind of strange, beautiful relationality that Jesus is experiencing in the creative work with his Father, late Christian thinkers in the Greek era developed a word to try to describe the the interrelatedness of God as God works. And the word they came up with to describe this dynamic is what is in Greek perichoresis. And it translates literally to dance around. That the God of the universe is a God who relates to themselves by dancing around. And in the 15th century, an iconist named Andrei Rublev created an icon to try to depict what does it look like for God to be in relationship to God's self, for Jesus to speak to the Father and say, I was having fun and this is the image that Andre created. There's three members sitting together having a meal. You see the Holy Spirit is in green there. And though this text talks about Jesus as a part of the creative force. The Holy Spirit is in green to describe that the Holy Spirit is the greening force in the universe. As mystics in the 15th century would say. That They bring life to the world around them. And you'll notice... They're having a meal together. It's an icon, so it doesn't look like they're having fun, but just imagine. But right in the front of this image is this really beautiful thing. There's this little square on the box here. And early art historians believe that what used to live there, because when they got the print, there was something sticky on that part of the image, early art historians believe that there was a mirror on the icon And so as you saw the Trinity having a relationship together, having a meal together, delighting and dancing around one another, Andrei Rublev, the artist, wanted you to see yourself as a part of that dance of delight. So as you looked at this icon and were invited into another world, you would see yourself as being invited into it. Now children, listen to me. Happy are those who keep my way. Jesus said in Matthew 18, the text that was read for us already, that we were supposed to be like children. Children are invited to participate in the fun and work that their family does. Our God is a God of relationship, a God whose very nature, the best of us describe as a dance, And it is a relationship of delight and joy, one where Jesus says, I was having fun, smiling before me. And it is a relationship that we are invited to participate in, to see the communion of our God and to see ourselves as a participant in it. Mithyo, our God is a God of play, and we as the children of God who are invited to participate in God's play are likewise invited to play. That's the first big idea that our God is a God of play. That leads to this, that for us then, if we are invited to participate in God's play, play then for us becomes an act of worship. Worship, a way that we get to participate in God, a way that we get to declare the marvels of God to the world around us. There's a famous passage that comes in 2 Samuel. And the passage depicts this moment where King David, who is like the king of Israel, he's kind of this like mythic, heroic figure in Israel's history. The king of all kings, sort of. And in 2 Samuel, he is bringing the Ark of the Covenant, which is this like holy symbol in Israel's history and life, and he's bringing it back into the city. And it's this like marvelous victory moment. There's a whole history to it, a whole story to it, but it's this marvelous victory moment. And David is bringing it back into the city. And as he does, we get this really marvelous moment. verse 13, the text says this, So David went and brought God's chest up and brought it into David's city, into Jerusalem, with celebration. David was dressed in a linen priestly vest. It's fun to imagine a king just, like, wearing linen. And he danced with all his strength before the Lord. And as the Lord's chest entered David's city, Saul's daughter, who was like the previous king and the rival of David, Saul's daughter, Michal, was watching from a window, and she saw King David jumping and dancing before the Lord, and she lost respect for him. Now The reason she loses respect for him is because he's a bad dancer. Uh, the, <laughs> the language that's used in Hebrews and what most historians and commentators think is that David is not doing some, like, trained, well-performed dance. The language is actually dancing like a child, that he's spinning around like a top, and his linen is open, and everybody sees his chest, and he is embarrassing himself as he dances before the ark that's entering into the city, and she's like, yeah, that's, that's embarrassing. You're a bad dancer, homie. And David hears this, that she is losing respect for him, and this is what she says to him, which is a famous line in verse twenty-one through twenty-two. David replied to Michal, "I was celebrating before the Lord, and I will celebrate again. I was celebrating before the Lord. I was dancing without respect, and I'm gonna do it again." I will humiliate myself even more. And I may be humbled in my own eyes. What a marvelous response that is. David, the king of Israel, the heroic mythic figure, is dancing without restraint, so much so that his subjects are embarrassed for him. (laughs) Been at a wedding, seen that happen? And he's like, I'm going to do it again. It reminds me of this. Uh, has anybody seen the movie *Chariots of Fire*? Nice. Um, there's this. There's, *Chariots of Fire* is a movie about Eric Little, who is a Scottish Olympian and a missionary, and he is like a, a runner. And there's this like very beautiful conversation between Eric Little and someone else in the movie which is displaying a character from real life. So Eric Little is a real-life character who is an actual Olympian, an actual missionary. And there's this very marvelous conversation that happens in the movie in which Eric Little is being asked, like, why don't you go be a missionary? Why are you being an Olympian? It feels like being an Olympian is a waste of your time. It's a waste of your energy. Like, you should go be a missionary. Go do this thing to the glory of God. Like, isn't that where the real Christian work is? And Eric Little responds with this very, very beautiful Thing. I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also believes He made me fast. And when I run, I feel His pleasure. The moment reminds me of King David dancing before the ark, that there are some things in worship that don't feel like they have a purpose. They don't feel like they produce something. They don't feel like they can be measured economically, and yet they produce delight. And yet they produce joy. And as Eric Little runs or as King David dances embarrassing before the ark, they feel God's pleasure. Worship. So play is an act of worship. But to worship in that way, we also have to trust. And so play is a marvelous act of trust. For David to dance so embarrassingly before the cart, he must know that something about him is secure and unflappable, that regardless of what his rival's daughter sees, he'll be okay. His identity will be true, that he will know himself as valued and loved. And so play, as it is an act of worship, it is also an act of trust. Do we believe that God is who God says They are. Do we believe that God loves us? Do we believe that our identity is actually secure? That it is actually rooted? Play is an act of trust. G.K. Chesterton who's a Christian theologian and thinker, has this marvelous quote talking about play. He says this, to be at last in such secure innocence that one can juggle with the universe and the stars. To be so good that one can treat everything as a joke, that may be perhaps the real end and final holiday of the human soul. Hmm. Chesterton is saying, like, what would it look like if you trusted God so much that you could see so much more of life as an invitation to play? You could juggle with the universe and see the world sometimes as a joke. Play is an act of trust. And within this, we also see something else happening. Play as play is an act of trust. It's an act of trust that what God is doing in the world is true and that God will accomplish what God says God will accomplish in the world. And so in this sense, play is an act of worship, play is an act of trust, Play is also an act of time travel. I wrote that just so you'd make sure I could see if you were staying awake. Play is an act of time travel, and this is what I mean by that. Chesterton's quote is talking about what happens at the end of the world, what happens to the human soul, what do we believe is true about us. And play, when we are willing to trust God, enough to enjoy, enough to delight, we point, we foreshadow a different world. German scholar Jürgen Moltmann wrote a beautiful book that's now out of print called A Theology of Play. And in it he says this, Play foreshadows the joy of the eschaton, or the end of all things, where all manner of drudgery and disease and decay and death will be left behind. Play foreshadows the renewal of all things where all manner of drudgery, disease and decay and death will be left behind. It is not a useless activity. And it's not time off from work, nor is it rest time. It is kingdom foreshadowing. It is a momentary escape into the future reality that God intends for us. Play is a practice in which we hold the tension of God's work. When we, in our own bodies, in our own lives, in our own communities, in our own small actions, say another world is coming and we are not content with the one that we live in. Play is a protest to the world around us. It's a moment where we jump into the future a little bit and say, oh, life can be good and it will be better still. In that sense, you could say play is preaching the gospel through our actions and our habits and our life, not just to the world around us, but also to ourselves. Play proclaims that God's kingdom is coming and that we believe it enough to trust and to worship right here and right now. And its play is an act of worship and is an act of trust. And as it is an act of time travel that declares the kingdom, it is also an act of participation in that kingdom work that God is doing. Theologian Leonard Sweet says it this way, There is no creation without play. We saw that. Jesus declares the play of creation in Proverbs 8. Play is oxygen for the imagination, which sparks creativity, which ignites innovation, which combusts in paradigm shifts. All human creation is recreation. It's joining the work that God has done. God did not create us to work at life, but to play and find joy in living. Play is a way in which we get to participate in the thing that God is doing. Well, through the play that we do, like having fun, finding ourselves in delight. But it also, I think, creates in us a vision for what participation with God can look like. This whole series is about sparking in us new love, sparking in us deeper hope, deeper joy, deeper affection. And play has a way of sparking in us that deeper imagination for what might life look like outside of my normal everyday? What might life look like if I can see it from the perspective and imagination of joy? What might be possible? What might be breaking into the world around me if I could just for a moment play and envision something else? To play invites us to participate. It helps us and empowers us to participate. It is Jesus telling us to be like little children, to respond to the divine invitation into communion and to delight and to joy. Missy, what if What if we imagined that God was a God at play and we were invited to participate in that kind of play? What might be different about your own spiritual life? What might be different about your, like, sense of who God is? What might be different about your sense of yourself? What might be different about the way that you see worship and the way that you see, like, living in union with Jesus? What might change? What if we began to see God as a God at play and the, We could practice play. Paul says in Galatians 5 that for freedom, Christ has set you free. I think if we saw our God at play, and if we saw ourselves as invited to participate in play, I think it might lead to freedom. I think it might lead to a Christian life defined by freedom. So what if, Missio? As we wrap up, I want to ask you three more questions to hold with you, to reflect on as you gather at the table and as you continue to worship. Now that we've talked, now that we've read the text, now that we've talked about what play is, can you envision God at play? What is your imagination for who God is? What is your imagination for what God is like? Can you envision God at play? Number two, what prevents you from play? I think I just have to confess, like I am a product of both my culture and of my faith tradition. So both can be pretty serious sometimes. So my own guilt, my own conscience can stop me from playing Like I feel like all the tasks, all the work feels more important than play. What stops you from engaging in play? Does it feel guilty? Does it feel foolish? Does it feel silly? Feel like a waste of time? What prevents you from play? And then finally, how can you play this week? Series is about actually doing the practices that we talk about. So what are ways that you can Break out of that routine. Break out of those things that hinder you from playing. And how can you play this week? What are the activities, the habits, the practices that bring delight or joy? Like Eric Little said, where you feel God's pleasure. Mr. How can you play this week? Mr. Did you take those three questions... Maybe you have the journal, write them down, take a picture of it with your phone. Would you just reflect on those three questions for a moment? I'm going to pray for us, hold those questions together, and then we'll continue to worship. And would you bring them with you to worship? Would you bring them with you to the table? And then, more importantly, would you let them send you this week? Let's pray. God, would you help us to know you more? I feel this week that if we don't imagine you ever at play, then we, we have a too small of an imagination for you. We don't see you in truth. So would we see you more? Would we see a God who is deeply at play, whose very nature is a dance that is making room for us to participate, to be like children who join in what you're doing? And God, as we see that different image of you, that different perception of who you are, of what you're doing in the world, would it change how we think about our own lives, our own habits, our own spiritual practices, our own spiritual maturity? Would it shape us to see those things as an invitation into joy? And even when life feels difficult or hard or stressful or anxious, would we not write off the practice of play as something that is silly or a waste of time, but instead we see it as actually even more important than ever. Because it's how we worship. It's how we trust you. It's how we actually surrender ourselves to the thing that you're doing and to you in this moment. So God, today, can we surrender to you, our God of play, by joining you at play. In your name we pray. Amen.